This is the Focus on Eternity podcast, encouraging you to abide in Christ in the midst of a busy life. Welcome and thank you for joining me today as we study God's Word. The title of today's message is The Real Burden. God's desire is for you to be united with Him and with fellow believers. However, there could be hindrances in your life that block such a heavenly blessing. Stay tuned as we continue to discuss the importance of following Christ and removing every obstacle in your spiritual life. Let's dig in. Okay, before we dive into today's text, let's take a moment to revisit a few verses at the end of chapter 4. 1 John 4, 17-19 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now last week we uncovered another evidence that should be found in the life of every born again believer. No one who is abiding in the love of God will be afraid of the inevitable judgment day in which every person will be judged for how they live their life on this earth. Now, if you are a Christian, you will have complete confidence that you are heaven-bound, and you will have assurance that your sins have been forgiven, and you will actively abide in love through obedience to the Word of God. Though you were once under God's wrath and destined for hell, you have been saved by Jesus Christ and have been reconciled to the Father. And because of this incredible love that God has shown you, your heart overflows with gratitude, and you can't help but love Him in return. Now my hope is that this is true in your life. Now as we continue on to the last two verses in chapter 4, verses 20-21, through 21, they say, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So here again, John is exposing the false converts who profess to love God, but show disdain for the true believers, right? himself included. Anyone who does not promote the highest good of others according to the Lord's standards does not have the Spirit of God abiding in them. They are liars. 
So now let's continue this thought as we begin the last chapter of this wonderful epistle. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So John is continuing his explanation on the love that will be seen by believers toward God and each other. And in the first half of this verse, he states, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, this is not merely belief in a doctrine or in an opinion, but trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, doctrine is extremely important but it's intended to point you to Christ, the true Christ. John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You must remember that salvation is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. Your faith must go beyond your intellect and into an everlasting relationship. Now, belief in Jesus Christ is based on your ability to trust in who He is and what He has promised. Those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Him will be born again of His Spirit. Now, John 1, 12 and 13 say, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now in the second half of verse 1, John says, And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. So he's saying that if anyone has experienced this spiritual transformation, they will love God and also their spiritual siblings. Anyone who is a child of God has been adopted into a spiritual family. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now these individual children make up our Heavenly Father's family, and God wants His children to walk in unity. Now, Jesus prays specifically for this unity amongst his disciples in John 17, 18 through 23, where he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me Through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, what an incredibly powerful prayer. Right? Individuals make up the church. Strong Christians build a strong church, spiritually speaking. And a strong church can change the world. And that's Jesus' intention for you and I. However, that prayer cannot come into fruition unless individuals abide in Christ and love one another. We must encourage one another to run the race, to abide in the truth, and even pick each other up if we stumble. And in doing so, we will accomplish what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, on to the next verse. 1 John 5, verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So, in the first half of this statement, John says, By this we know that we love the children of God. So, every one of us can be certain whether or not we love other believers, okay? It will be easy to acknowledge because it's something that you will experience. They won't be empty words, but active affections. But then John gives us the evidence to look for. He says, when we love God and keep His commandments. So, in regard to loving God... A Christian has made the commitment to glorify the Lord in every situation. And obedience to Him is the demonstration of that love. You will know that you love God's children when your heart is set on honoring God and following His instructions. Because one of those commands is, in John 13, 34, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Proof of your inward transformation will be evident in the way that you live your life and how you treat fellow believers. And loving other believers is not a suggestion, it is a command. Now in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. So simply put, what the Spirit of God works in you you are responsible to work out through your actions. And as we discovered last week, how you live your life matters. 
and the Lord's commands are not optional, and disobedience is not overlooked. And that's what takes us into the next verse, 1 John 5, 3, which says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, in the first part of this verse, again, John is restating a truth that he has already brought to our attention. He said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Now, God expects us to follow His instructions not because He is a dictator who wants to control you, but because He is a loving Father who wants to guide and protect you. Deuteronomy 12, 13 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good? Everything that God commands you to do is for your good. It's for the good of others, and it's for His glory. But then John gives us something else to consider in the second half of verse 3. He says, God's commandments are not burdensome. You see, to the unregenerate heart, the commands of God are unfair and oppressive. A selfish heart wants its own ways. However, we've learned that when selfishness is left unchecked, it leads to destruction. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Oh, but to the child of God, the instructions of the Lord bring life. The commandments of God are not intended to hold you down, but to keep you on the right path. Psalm 19, 7-11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, There is great reward. So here I have a few questions coming out of that psalm. Do you value the Lord's commands or do you resent them? Do you desire them as gold or do you avoid them like a plague? See, maybe your obedience is conditional. And what I mean by that is, if it benefits you, you'll obey. But if it goes against your desires, well, you just ignore them. Now, how you respond to the Lord's commands reveals a lot about the condition of your soul. 
You see, many people view the grace of God as a license to sin. Now, they may not say it outright, but deep down, they believe that no matter what they do, God will overlook it because they profess to be a Christian. They're taught and believe that God doesn't see their sin. He just sees Jesus. As though there was a Christ-like blanket between you and God, and He doesn't see the bad things that you do. And that is simply not true. The grace of God that is found in Christ does not create anarchy, but discipline. Instead of being under the sway of the enemy, you're influenced by the Holy Ghost, whose purpose is to guide you in the truth. You see, a Christian understands that the real burden is sin. God's path is the only one that leads to life. All others produce and end in destruction. And that's why you must be willing to cling tightly to truth and to abstain from every form of evil and unrighteousness. Now, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul encourages him, and and also us, in this matter of personal holiness and unity amongst believers. 2 Timothy 2, 19-26 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may, na- they may know the truth, and that they may come to, s- to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now within these verses, we can see a progression that leads to spiritual maturity, unity, and even effective ministry. Right? The first step was to depart from iniquity. And you must separate yourself from sin. Allow the Lord to cleanse your past, but also let Him empower your future. Receive forgiveness, but, but then go and sin no more. And then secondly, the transition goes from sinning no more to now pursue righteousness. And how do you pursue righteousness? Follow the righteous one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Read his word. What he says, do. What he warns, avoid. What he promises, 
receive. And then lastly, you must be willing to lovingly correct others. You can't be afraid of telling someone that they are going the wrong way. Your fear of offending must not overcome your love for them. You see, I always remind myself not to worry about those I may offend, but focus on those I may inspire and lead to Christ. Remember, the truth of God's word is only offensive to those who refuse to submit to his authority in their life. So you must be willing to tell others the truth if they are living in error. But also in that same light, maybe the other side of the coin, you also can't get offended if someone tries to correct you. See, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be looking out for one another's souls. Because I don't want any one of you to be, as Paul said in verse 26, taken captive by the devil to do his will. We must encourage one another to walk in the truth and pick each other up if we fall. That is Christian love. However, you can't help someone up if you're laying in the mud. You can't lead someone on the path of eternal life if you're not walking on it. So as we conclude today, I want to encourage you with two verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Now, as John told us earlier, the commandments of God are not burdensome. Sin is the true burden. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, there have been believers that have gone before us that have proved it's possible to live a holy, faith-filled life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because it's been proven, we have no excuse not to follow in their steps. Therefore, remove any hindrances in your life that keep you from living a life that pleases God. Now, obviously, any known sin should be repented of. Right? You must confess and turn from it. However, sometimes the hindrances in your life, well, they're not clearly seen. Some of the biggest obstacles in your spiritual life could be simple distractions. And that's anything that diverts your attention away from abiding in the love of Christ. Your time, energy, and thoughts may be so consumed by the daily grind of life, right? Personal responsibilities, material gain, selfish ambitions, or even a small cellular device. See, any distraction can lead you into temptation. And if that temptation is acted upon, it becomes sin. Now, temptations are not always avoidable, but are you willing to remove the ones that are? 
Jesus stresses the importance of removing temptations and avoiding sin in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 29 and 30, he said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You see, you must be careful not to allow anything to invade your devotion and commitment to the Lord. Because every one of us has been given 24 hours in a day. You must spend it wisely. You must look continually to Jesus for guidance, for strength, and for hope. He will lead you. He wants to lead you. But you must give him your heart and follow. And when you do, next week's verse will become real in your life. And we're going to study 1 John 5, verse 4, which says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. I'm going to thank you for listening today. Please join me next time as we discuss your ability to overcome the spiritual hindrances in your life and the faith that is needed to receive such an incredible blessing. God bless you.